444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter. Alongside me, as always, is John Paulson. It's been a couple of weeks since John and I discussed uh, anything on a pod. In fact, I think it's been about a month and a half or so. John, how are we doing today? We're back, Anthony. How does it feel? We're back. It feels good. It's like we never left. It's jumping right back on a bicycle. Yeah, it seems like we had no break, but we did have a break. Uh, I just want to apologize up front that I'm getting over cold, uh, but I think I'm okay. I'm going to soldier through this, and um, if I happen to go into a hacking fit uh just uh maybe we'll do you want to cut that out of the pot or should we just leave it in i think people need to realize that you and i are human beings and sometimes we hack up crap just like anybody else that's I true think we leave i think we leave that part in the question is is our hacking up the crap that we hack up is it better than our fancy advice that's the question and that is something for you the listener to decide Absolutely. It's like one of those. It's like one of those open-ended movies, John. You 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 can interpret it how you want. But uh, let's dive in. We got a lot to get to today. Let's start off first as like as as what we always do on any podcast. Tell us about the music, John. Yes, this is a band called the Black Pumas. Uh, nice. Their uh, self-titled debut uh, came out last year, 2019. This track is called Colors. It's the second track off of uh, this album, and uh, I actually listened to the whole album uh, at a bar in Austin. Uh, with Josh Moore and TJ Hernandez, uh, they had a vi- it was like a vinyl uh, store slash bar, and they had this album playing. So we list- stayed and listened to both sides, and it was a really, really good album. So uh, check it out. The track is called Colors. It's kind of a cool concept for the bar. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's. So what are we doing today? Well, today we're going to take a look back at the 2019 season and see if there are any kind of lessons that we can learn from 2019 and apply to 2020 then we're going to discuss john's never too early rankings for 2020 which may have which just have been published i should say they just got published on the site 444.com one note 2019 444 subscriptions they expire today february 27th so be sure to subscribe soon for early bird pricing of 17 to 20 percent off depends that that 17 to 20 percent depends on which subscription that you get so if you'd like John to get a little kickback as well, and who doesn't? Hit the link, bit, so B-I-T dot L-Y backslash four for four, John. I'm going to go over that again. B-I-T dot L-Y backslash the number four, F-O-R, the number four, John. The J in John is capitalized. If you do that, before you subscribe, he's going to get a little credit for it, get a little kickback. John finished second in Fantasy Pro's 2019 accuracy study, which was his eighth top six finish in the last 10 years. So you are getting very accurate rankings year in and year out when you listen to either this podcast with John Paulson or you check out his rankings at 444.com. John, you ready for some 2019 retrospective? Let's do it. All right, let's run down the top 12 point getters at each position through week 16 and then we're going to have a little discussion on those on those positions we're going to start off with quarterbacks 
Let me first read you the top 12 quarterbacks from last year, then I got a question for you. Last year, fantasy-wise, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Jameis Winston, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady. Those were your top 12 point getters at the quarterback position last year. On a per-game basis, Matthew Stafford, Drew Brees, and Ryan Tannehill were in the top 12 as well. What do you make of the top 12? What did you learn from the top 12 from a year ago? Well, the initial thing that I wanted to do with this podcast was kind of look at these producers and figure out where they were drafted, uh, if there's anything we can learn. And I think we've learned a long time ago that uh, late-round quarterback is a very viable strategy. Wait on quarterback, uh, there's no reason to draft a quarterback early in the first five or six rounds uh, when you can get uh, very productive players much later in the draft and add them to a roster filled with talent at the running back, wide receiver, and tight end position. So uh, five of the 12 that finished in the top 12 were uh, drafted outside the top 12, including two of the top three, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, who went in the teens. Um, One thing I noticed with this group, uh, especially in the top 10, um, each of these quarterbacks ran for at least 183 yards last year. So I think we're getting even more towards – uh, raising that quarterback floor with ten, at least 10 or 20 yards uh, rushing per game. So you really didn't get into non-running quarterbacks until you get to Tom Brady. I mean, even Matt Ryan rushed for 140-something yards last year. Uh, Tom Brady, obviously, negative rushing yards probably. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, not as big runners. Derek Carr, uh, these are the guys getting into the uh, next group of guys. Jared Goff, Phillip Rivers. So all those players tend to not run the ball much at all, whereas the guys in the top 10 ran the ball in addition to throwing it. Um, so definitely heading into the next few years, you're, you're looking for that uh, quarterback that can, is a dual threat. Obviously, Lamar Jackson underscores that with his, whatever, 1,200 yards rushing he had last year, uh, 175 carries for 1,200 yards, seven touchdowns. He also had 36 passing touchdowns really led the way at the position and uh, was, was a league winner this year at, uh, at the quarterback position. Let's move on to running backs. So these are the running backs, half PPR through week 16, top 12 from a year ago. Christian McCaffrey, no surprise there. Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Mark Ingram, Leonard Fournette, Chris Carson, Saquon Barkley, and Todd Gurley wrapped up the top 12. What's the biggest lesson there? Actually, let me let me first give you a note. Per game basis, Alvin Kamara also joined the top 12. So, John, I was just getting ready to ask you, what's the biggest lesson from the running backs in 2019? Uh, yeah, six out of the 12 were drafted outside the top 12. However, 11 of the 12 that finished in the top 12 were drafted among the top 22 running backs off the board. The only exception was that uh, Austin Eckler, who was running back 29, uh, and he finished fifth. So a lot, what I'm saying is that 11 of the 12 were drafted in the first four rounds. Um, and then you get into the RB2 ranks, those guys that finished 13 through 24, eight of those 12 were drafted in the top 24. So when you combine the two levels, you're just looking at the top 24 running backs, only five of them were drafted outside the top 24. So 
pretty good return on investment at the running back position this year. Um, typically, if you're looking for producers at this, you need if you wanted a top 12 guy, you needed to pull pull the trigger in the top in the first four rounds, other than Austin Eckler. Um, otherwise, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, there are ways to get around that. You know, so we'll talk about a few other players, but um, later on, but. Really, if you wanted a producer from start to finish this year, you needed to draft running backs fairly early. Wide receiver, same idea, top 12. Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Kenny Galladay, Cooper Cup, Julian Edelman, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, Devontae Parker, who really flashed last year after being largely a bust the first four years in the league. Keenan Allen wrapped up the top top 12 on a per-game basis. Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, and DJ Chark join the top 12 as well. Biggest lesson for the wide receiver group from 2019, in your opinion? Well, as I was looking up this was data, it was interesting to see some of this. Like Michael Thomas, uh, he outscored, just going through week 16, um, he outscored the second player, Chris Godwin, by 63 points. Uh, so Thomas was the no-brainer, most valuable receiver this year. Uh and then, you know, guys like Kenny Galladay, who you feel like he had a good year, but, you know, if you would have asked me who the number five, if he was the number five receiver last year, I wouldn't have said yes based on just my impression of his season. Um, and it was also interesting to see Parker there at 11, although a word of warning with him, he really took off. His production was uh, really ramped up after Preston Williams got injured. I think prior to the Preston Williams injury, Williams actually produced Parker. So, um, that's one word of caution with Parker, although they, he, he is primed for a pretty good year in 2020, I think. With the receivers, 6 out of 12 were drafted outside the top 12. Um, 10 of the 12 finishing in the top 12 were drafted inside the top 21. Uh, the exceptions uh, were Allen Robinson, who was the 27th off the board, and Parker, who was 57th off the board. If you just look at the wide receiver 2 ranks, the guys in the 13 to 24 range, Six of those fantasy wide receiver twos were drafted twenty wide receiver twenty five or later, um, so there was some value outside uh, the wide receiver two ranks, uh, and you could end up with some wide receiver two value there. Uh, DJ Moore, DJ Chark, John Brown, Cortland Sutton, AJ Brown, and Marvin Jones were all drafted outside the top twenty five. Um, eight out of the top twenty four receivers were drafted outside of the top twenty four, so. A little bit easier to find wide receiver, wide, wide receiver two, wide receiver one, wide receiver two talent outside that top 24 of that position. All right, let's move on to tight ends. Top 12 a year ago at the tight end position. Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, Darren Waller, Austin Hooper, Jared Cook, Hunter Henry, Tyler Higby, Dallas Goddard, Jason Witten, and then you got Mike Gusecki. No other note on the top 12. This is always a, a position of constant um, consternation, John, right? You're always looking for a tight end. <laughs> if you don't get one of the top ones, there, there, it tends to be an issue. But if, if you've got Austin Hooper, or if you had Austin Hooper this year, if you, had, if you, find, if you found Mike Gusecki, I mean, you, you, I think you did okay. Yeah, uh, I, I was an advocate for the early tight end. Uh, I like drafting a tight end early. I like getting one of these studs. Had a lot of Kittle, had a lot of Kelsey, a little bit of Ertz. Um, in the in those leagues where you missed out on them, I did I did list uh, Mark Andrews and Darren Waller as two of the upside tight ends 
in my uh, draft day strategy. I went back and looked at that because uh, those were guys that uh, I would be targeting later. However, I was getting so much of the early tight end that I didn't need to draft them so much. Um, but Andrews and, and Waller really produced, and uh, Hooper was pretty good too uh, while he was uh, while he was active. He only played 12 games. Um, I would say I'm going to continue with the early tight end strategy, a fairly early tight end strategy. It sort of depends on where the ADP for some of these guys shakes out. There's definitely going to be some sleepers. Um, but I think, I think the, the advice that I hear sometimes is that, well, there's always a guy like Mark Andrews, or there's always a guy like Darren Waller, um, that emerges as a, like a top five tight end. And that's usually true, but it's not always obvious in the preseason who that's going to be. I think this year, Andrews and Waller kind of stood out as upside plays. Andrews, we were a little bit worried about his snap count, uh, lack of passing touchdowns, but obviously that didn't, you know, wasn't a concern with Lamar Jackson throwing as many as he did. Uh, Darren Waller was just a giant unknown, uh, but he stepped right into that Jared Cook role and and took off. Um, so we'll see as we get into draft season this year if there's upside players like this that uh, that stand out as values. Uh, whereas you can kind of punt the, the tight end position and maybe grab two of those guys and, and hope that one pays off. So we just got done talking about position by position, things that we learned based off the top 12 at each position last year. What can we learn from the first and second round bust? I'm, gonna, I'm going to list off a few names here. You got Devontae Adams, David Johnson, James Conner, Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, Damian Williams, Adam Thielen. Those were the the first or second round bust, depending on where you got them, depending on 10-team, 12-team leagues. What's the thing that we that you learned most from that group? Well, unfortunately, it's injuries, 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 and injuries are fairly hard to predict. Uh, you know, Looking at this list, um, almost all of them were due to injury. Devontae Adams was number six in point, points per game, so once he was active and playing, he was producing at the level that you would ex- have expected from him based on your draft, the capital you spent on him. Uh, David Johnson, everybody kind of looks at him and what a disappointing year, but he was the, he was the number six RB through the first six weeks before injuries hit him. James Conner uh, was the eight, number eight running back through the first eight weeks before he got injured. Smith Schuster definitely, when he played, was not sort of the level that we thought we were going to get from him, but obviously the Ben Roethlisberger uh, injury set that whole offense back. So I think I give him kind of a pass. I mean, Smith-Schuster, he was on pace for 69 catches for 1,013 yards and seven touchdowns through the first eight weeks. Obviously, that big injury didn't help at all. Uh, Damian Williams, I'm probably going to catch some flack this year in 2020 because I'm probably going to be higher on, I'm going to remain pretty high on Damian Williams because I'm not going to just forget what this guy continues to do in the playoffs and late in the season. Um, The LaShawn McCoy acquisition certainly hurt his uh, touches and role early in the season, but he had a he was he had already kind of taken over that job and then got injured. If you look at what he's done in the last seven non-injury games this year, he's averaged 18.6 touches for 110 yards and 1.57 touchdowns, and this is coming off of a very strong finish in 2018 as well. I went and looked at um, the points per fancy points per touch um, 
of all players with at least 300 touches over the last two seasons. And Damian Williams comes in at uh, third in that after James White and Austin Eckler. Uh, Tariq Cohen and Christian McCaffrey round out the top five. Of the top five, only Damian Williams isn't like primarily a pass catcher you know, in this group. I mean, James White has 184 catches over two years. Austin Eckler, 138. Tariq Cohen, 153. Christian McCaffrey, 223. And then Damian Williams is sitting there at 74. So, you know, fantasy points per touch, it increases with guys who catch a lot of passes. And Damian does catch some passes, but not nearly as much as his other guys. So my point is, on a per-touch basis, he is elite. He's a top-five fantasy back. Uh, and the question is, is he going to have that continue to have that role uh, in that Kansas City offense? Because I think that's a super valuable role um, for a running back. So uh, Adam Thielen... You know, people forget that he was the wide receiver eight through his, for his first six games before injuries struck him. I think the only player on this list that really wasn't drastically affected by injuries was Odell Beckham. And, you know, he didn't miss any games, but he did have a sports injury, uh, a sports hernia injury, and he had surgery after the season, uh, was reportedly dealing with it throughout the year. We don't really know when that all started. But it's a reminder that free agent receivers – uh, have a tendency to disappoint unless they're getting a big upgrade in usage in terms of targets or a big upgrade or an upgrade at all at quarterback. And we thought he was going to get an upgrade at quarterback from uh, Eli Manning to Baker Mayfield, but Mayfield didn't play any better uh, than recent versions of Eli Manning, and that ended up kind of dragging Beckham down. Uh, his numbers were down. I think there's a, you know, with that regime change in, in Cleveland, that's reason for optimism. And then Jarvis Landry uh, undergoing offseason hip surgery. Uh, he is sort of iffy for training camp, so that will give uh, Beckham a chance to reestablish him, himself as the number one receiver in this offense. I know that for I know you personally, John. You're very analytical. You dive into your process, and then you look back, and you'll you'll just like you're doing right now. You look back and you say, okay, here's some things that went right. Here's some things that went wrong. But you're always kind of testing theories. Were there any big lessons for you? that you learned in 2019 as far as your draft plan goes? Because that, that always winds up being a very interesting conversation, too. What's your draft philosophy? And we never seem to go back and, and, and look at things that worked worked well or didn't. So big lessons learned in the 2019, or from 2019, as far as your draft plan goes. Well, I'm unlike some fantasy analysts, whereas I'm not a zero RB guy or I'm not running back early guy. I'm not... Um, I'm not necessarily stuck on tight end early, although I do typically draft tight end early. For those that have read my draft draft day strategy article every year, they know that I typically draft a quarterback late. I try to identify a, a round or two where there is a group of quarterbacks that I'd be happy with as my starter. Uh, and then I try to figure out which tight end or tight ends I want. Um, maybe it's a, you know, taking Kelsey in the second, or maybe it's, um, you know, Delaney Walker in the 10th as it was a, a few years ago. And then I, um, then I build my draft plan around those players. So then I start looking round by round, all right, which, which round is in terms of ADP is strong for these running backs, which is strong for, for receivers. And then I compile my team that way. And, you know, things sort of change over the summer a little bit as, Player value goes up, goes up and down. I have to change my plan a little bit, but by August, I'm, you know, probably going to draft a running back in the first and a wide receiver in the second, or vice versa, or go running back, running back, and then start to hit the wide receiver position. It all depends on where I feel like the value is 
at each position, and that's because you know you're looking at projections, preseason projections, have a pretty good idea of how the position is is laid out. You might be really top heavy, top three or top four receivers, and then wide receiver five and wide receiver twenty five are fairly interchangeable. Uh, in that situation, you might want to uh, go running backs early, and then, or if you can't get a stud receiver, and then um, hit the wide receiver position later since there's so much depth there. So. Any sort of giant lesson that I'm learning from this? No, it's the same. I'm going to be going into with the same philosophy, figure out who my quarterbacks and tight ends are going to be, my, my targets there, and then uh, draft accordingly at the other positions based on that. John's 2020 Never Too Early rankings are now posted at 444.com. That's the number 4, F-O-R, number 4.com. To find them, just go to rankings on the main menu, then click Never Too Early rankings. You'll find them right there. I thought today that, John, you and I would discuss a few selections or, or a few, I'm sorry, sections, I should say, of the rankings that really jumped out to me. And then you could kind of sort of go go through the, your overall thought process on them. So let's look at the QB5 through QB20 group. Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford, Jameis Winston, Drew Brees, Ryan Tannehill, Cam Newton, Daniel Jones, Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Kirk Cousins, Ben Roethlisberger. Again, that's QB5 to, to, through QB20. What sort of drop-off are you seeing at the position after the top four, which are Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, and then Russell Wilson? Yeah, I mean, I feel really good about those top four. And then after that, I didn't really know exactly who I wanted to put at five. I mean, Dak Prescott was really productive last year, but we, he might lose Samari Cooper. He's got Mike McCarthy in it. Uh, as head coach now, um, so there's a little bit of loss of continuity there. Although the, they kept the they kept Kellen Moore the OC, so I'm a little, little concerned about Prescott. I think Murray is is my like quote unquote next Lamar Jackson possibly, um, but he's going quite early in drafts. I can see he's not he's not going in the 10 to 15 range like you'd like to see him. He's going in the top six. Uh, Josh Allen obviously adds a lot with his ground game, um, so. Just going down that list of guys you mentioned, I think there's going to be a lot of movement here this offseason based on, number one, some of these guys are free agents. Uh, James Winston might not be back. Uh, Cam Newton uh, may change teams. Um, you have to kind of see how Ben Roethlisberger comes back from his injury. Uh, how does the new offense and uh, new regime you know, work with Baker Mayfield? Um, so there's just a lot of kind of moving parts uh, here. So... It's hard to say that I feel super confident about even Dak Prescott outscoring Ben Roethlisberger next year. I mean, that's not something. So there's a lot of depth there. Um, it might be an argument that maybe you do want to grab a, uh, a Russell Wilson in the seventh round or something. Um, but there's going to be a lot of options, I think, on draft day for, for fantasy owners heading into uh, you know August and late uh, or early September uh, 2020 drafts. All right, the thing I wanted to ask you is, again, we're looking at John's never-too-early rankings. The thing that I kind of looked at when I was looking at your running back position is that it's that group from running back 12 through 24. And if you don't have the list in front of you, that's Austin Eckler, Todd Gurley, Miles Sanders, Chris Carson, Gordon, Melvin Gordon, Kenyon Drake, Mark Ingram, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, Damian Williams, Le'Veon Bell, Devin Singletary, and then you got James Conner. So that's the 12th through 24th running back group. How much do you think the order of this group will change over the next few months? Well, I think I think quite a bit. Uh, you look at the top 11, and their their workloads and roles seem to be pretty, you know, well defined. Um, you know, 
I was talking with uh, uh, TJ Hernandez at our uh, retreat, and he was like, I, you know, I don't, I think people are too high on Austin Eckler, and I don't necessarily agree. I think, you know, he finished top five last year, and that was with Melvin Gordon playing quite a few games, and it looks like Gordon's going to be gone. So if, if Eckler is back as the lead in that backfield, I look, you know, it looks pretty good for him. It sort of depends on who they draft. Uh, if they if they take one of these top t- top uh, running backs, that's going to definitely throw a wrench into that plan. Um, you know, Gurley in his knee and Miles Sanders, uh, probably the lead back there in Philly. Chris Carson has to deal with Rashad Penny. Um, Melvin Gordon, probably a free agent. Kenyon Drake, uh, free agent. Uh, if he comes back with Arizona, I feel great about him. Uh, he was just on fire last late last year as, as a member of the Cardinals. I don't know why they wouldn't bring him back based on that production unless he, he's asking for too much money. I think Ingram's a pretty safe uh, bet for 2020, having a good year. Uh, Damian Williams there at 21. Um, I'll probably be higher on him than most this year. I, I'm not afraid to draft him again based on that scheme there. Uh, but again, they might draft a a good running back, and that would kind of throw a wrench in that plan. Le'Veon Bell, it sounds like the Jets are going to improve the uh, offensive line. That's a major focus for them, and that should really help him. Um, and, you know, Singletary, Connor, Mack, Karan Johnson, Philip Lindsay, a lot of young running backs that are still sort of vying for the lead role in their in their respective backfields and kind of have to see what what happens after free agency in the draft to really kind of iron out uh, those RB2 rankings. Now you have DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor ranked in your top 20. Can you talk a little bit about how you rank rookies at this type of at, at this time of year for those drafting in best ball drafts? Yeah, I mean I'm looking at uh, best ball uh, ADP from last year, Josh Jacobs, I think, was going in the fourth or fifth round, a lot of the early pre-draft, like pre-NFL draft uh, best ball drafts. And by the time, you know, he landed with the Raiders, he was going in the third round. So I think there's some value if you can identify that the the consensus RB1 um, or at least a guy that where he's, you know, no matter where he goes, he's going to see a fairly big role Um, based on what I've limited research I've done here on this draft class. It seems like DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor are the uh, consensus RB1 and RB2s, uh, or the consensus top two running backs in this class. However, uh, I know a lot of people like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and J.K. Dobbins and Cam Akers, so I've got them ranked as RB3s, uh, just not as sure on those guys going uh, in the you know first three, two or three rounds. Um, I think there is some value drafting rookies. I, I have them ranked ahead of a guy like Damian Williams, uh, just because you know these, you know Swift and Taylor are going to come out with you know more clout and a, a better you know draft capital than, than somebody like Damian Williams or you know Le'Veon Bell coming off a really bad season and and for the Jets and Singletary still sharing the backfield in Buffalo and Connor not sure about his role. Uh, for Pittsburgh, you know, coming kind of coming off of a down year, injury plagued year, so um, yeah, I think that's where. I mean, I think running backs are the safest bet as rookies, and I think those two right now are the consensus top two players. Moving over to wide receiver, I wanted to take a look at the wide receiver twenty to thirty five range. So those wide receivers would consist of DJ Chark, Robert Woods, Juju Smith Schuster, John Brown, T Y Hilton, Tyler Boyd, Devontae Parker, A J Green, Terry McLaurin. D.K. Metcalf, Julian Edelman, Michael Gallup, Adam Thielen, Debo Samuel, Christian Kirk, and then Jarvis Landry would round out again. Wide receiver 20 to 35. That's the range. 
this appears to be a group that's also in flux. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, you can even go down a few more. Robbie Anderson, free agent. Um, Jerry Judy at 42, uh, rookie, uh, obviously. Will Fuller, just not sure on his health. But in that range that you mentioned, you know, Chark had a really good second season. Uh, kind of waiting to see who that quarterback's going to be there. Um, Wood solid as always. Uh, you know, John Brown had a great season for the Bills. I don't see that any reason that's going to change. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, getting Big Ben back would be a big boost for him. Hilton, uh, you know, quarterback question marks there. Tyler Boyd, I think, is a really nice value, although if A.J. Green is back, he, you know, he takes a little bit of a hit because, you know, Tyler Boyd now, I think we're projecting out Joe Burrow as the, you know, the, the quarterback there. Uh, he's going, I believe Boyd is going uh, another 10 spots later in the early draft, so... Pretty good value there. Uh, Parker, you know, how does Preston Williams come back from his injury? McLaren, who's the quarterback for the Redskins? Probably going to be Haskins, but, you know, Haskins, McLaren wasn't terribly good with Haskins last year. Um, Edelman, who's his quarterback going to be? Uh, Michael Gallup, is, is Cooper going to be back? Because if he's not, Gallup gets a big bump up. Uh, Thielen, you know, is he fully healthy? Does Diggs come back? Uh you know, Casillon was very productive prior to his injury last year. Um, and then uh, I think Debo Samuel and Christian Kirk are pretty attractive players there at the low-end wide receiver three rankings. And, and Jarvis Landry as well, although he's got the hip injury. Um, so, yeah, definitely going to be quite a bit of movement here. And, you know, going up the rankings, I think that the, the top 20 or so are going to be a little bit more stable uh, because those players are a little more established and their roles are established within their respective teams. And now at tight end, and we will get a chance to talk about Greg Olson as he as he signs with the Seattle Seahawks. But at tight, at tight end, and this is this is kind of a, in wrapping up John's never too early rankings. Here are the top ten: you got Kelsey, Kettle, Andrews, Ertz, Waller, Hooper, Ingram, Henry, Higby, Cook. Which tight ends jump out to you as sleepers, though, heading into twenty twenty? Yeah, looking outside that top ten, I mean, I'm very interested to see where Austin Hooper lands because it sounds like the Falcons are going to let him go, and he was very productive for for them last year. Cap space, cap, cap hell. space, yeah. Yeah, yep, so I mean, that's a very interesting situation with Austin Hooper uh, and where he lands. Uh, Ingram and Henry, I think, are pretty solid if they can come back healthy. Higby tore it up late last year, and I think he established himself as yeah, maybe I, you know, maybe he is the he is better than Gerald Everett. Um, he, he, he crushed it late last year. So getting out of that top 10, I think TJ Hawkinson's interesting second season. I mean, obviously the Noah, Noah Fant and Gesicki are, you know, these young and up and coming tight ends as well, but Hawkinson is probably going to be flying under the radar due to the, the injury. And, uh, I just think there's just such lack of receiving options there in Detroit right now that, you know, he could see the second most targets after Galladay, uh, potentially, I think Jack Doyle, if Eric Ebron leaves, uh, suddenly Jack Doyle is a 80-90% snap guy and is getting, you know, f- six-plus targets a game. Um, but young guys that, you know, we were talking about identifying some tight ends that are going to be going later in drafts that could really emerge as top five, top eight guys. And I think Janu Smith, if Talani Walker doesn't return, uh, he had a pretty good um, fantasy points per route run last year, which is a nice indicator um, heading into more uh, routes and heading into more snaps. Ian Thomas, not as good with the fantasy points per route run, but should see a big uptick in playing time with Greg Olson gone. 
And then uh, another player to kind of watch out for, I think, is uh, Blake Jarwin because it sounds like the the Cowboys are going to move on from J- uh, Jason Witten. And, um, you know, Jarwin in 2018, he caught 20 passes for 228 yards and three touchdowns in the final four games. And that included seven for 119 and three touchdowns against the Giants in week 17 of that year. Last year, he was seventh in yards per route run among uh, uh, tight ends with at least 30 catches. Um, behind Kittle, Andrews, Higby, Waller, Kelsey, and Cook. Um, if they move on from Witten and don't make a big move at tight end, then I think Jarwin could be one of these 14th round, 12th round tight ends that uh, finishes in the top 10. And then finally, again, let's take the opportunity to discuss Seattle's signing of Greg Olson. You think he's back in the tight end one conversation? I mean, tight end and wide receiver, unless you're Doug Baldwin and Obviously, they had um, you know a couple of couple of good wide receivers last year, none none bigger than DK Metcalf. But it's it's kind of a tough transition, it seems sometimes playing either tight end or wide receiver with with Russell Wilson. But is Greg Olson back to being a tight in the tight end one conversation? I would say no, and it's not because he's not talented enough. It's I think there's a couple of concerns for me, and one is the injury history with him, and you know he's 35, 36. He's Probably not going to play a full season, uh, just based on recent history and um, how players tend to play at that age. But there's also some pretty good talent there. Will Disley is expected back by week one. He had a bad knee injury, but super productive when he played. Uh, they also have Jacob Hollister, who filled in very well, admirably. So if the, you know signing Olson to a one-year deal, guaranteed five point five million, that's pretty significant money. I think they're looking at him as a, def- a definite weapon for them, but they have the luxury of not having to play him 70, 80, 90% of the snaps, and they could play him as a 50, 60% snap player and then rotate Disley and Hollister in and keep him, uh, limit the hits he takes and keep him relatively fresh throughout the season so he's available for the postseason. So for that reason, I look at him as more of a high-end, middle-of-the-road, tight-end two. Uh, He he should be streamable at certain points next year, but I think we have to see what sort of playing time he's getting in that that offense. John, great stuff as always. That about wraps it up. Remember... Head over to 444.com, renew your 2020 subscription so that you can access John's never-too-early rankings. A lot more to just, a lot more detail and everything than, than what we can give you on just one podcast. So, again, make sure that you renew that 2020 subscription. You can get access to John's never-too-early rankings. I'm sure Greg Smith will also be recording a podcast over the next few weeks, but we'll be back in late March to discuss the fantasy impact of free agency. For John Paulson, who you can follow at Four for four underscore John. You can follow me at Anthony Stalter on Twitter. We'll talk to you late March. Do a little draft preview on the next episode of 44.com's the most accurate podcast.